Good morning. I'll be reading uh, from the New Living Translation, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. You can read along with me on the screens. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into fractions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus, Gaius, for now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For Christ. Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. And now with clever and, and not with clever speech, but for fear that the cross of Christ would lo- lose its power. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved now, it is the very power of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Richard. Uh, Good morning, sinners. Good morning, saints. How are you all doing? Thank you, Wes, for leading us. And I also want to remind you to lift up Susan. Susan's going to be preaching in uh, Richton for uh, Reverend Amy Roller, who's on a well-deserved vacation, I'm sure. So, Susan, when you have to slip out of here, our prayers go with you as you share with them the good news. Let's, what's that? Did I say anything wrong? Okay, good. Because I called her Julie earlier, so anyway, that's all right. Another, let's pray. Lord God, your word is living and active in our midst. God, the gospel is true whether we believe it or not, but help us, oh God, to believe, to see, to know, to receive. In your name we pray, amen. So we've been going over this series, This I Believe. And just just to remind you, if you've been out of town, we're talking about the things that God has given us that form us, that that shape us into the people that we are, people that we strive to be, um, how we are guided uh, together. My first Sunday here, I talked about I believe in the call. I believe in the story. I believe that I have heard God's call And you have heard God's call. And church is a place where we together hear one another's call so that we can hear God's voice a little bit more clearly. The second week, I talked about I believe in the church. The church is the body of Christ. Some of you might be a kneecap. Some of you might be a little toe. But every single one of you, we're all important pieces of the body of Christ. Last week... You'll recall Susan shared with us and taught, I believe, which is, she talked about a convincing faith. She used Paul's conversion when he got knocked off a horse, was blinded for three days, right? 
And he went from this angry human being that was so mad at these Christians, these people that were distorting his faith, to being the apostle to the Gentiles. And Susan asked us, is, is your faith informing you, informing you, or is it your opinion? What is guiding and leading you in your daily walk? What is guiding you and leading you as you walk into this world full of friends, strangers, uh, enemies, people that are hard to understand, people that are easy to understand? Is it your opinion that is forming you, or is it your faith? So today we're going to stay with Paul, and this, uh, you heard part of a letter. Did it sound like a nice letter? Did Paul sound like he was... Um, being real chippy and glorious with them. No, he was. And it was a difficult letter uh, for Paul to write. You know, sometimes we miss the sarcasm and humor in something that's you know, 2,000 years old, like Paul's letter. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of humor in it. Um, he's dealing, Paul is. He got some communication from this church. And he's dealing with uh, a laundry list of, of things that they're having to deal with in the church. Paul is writing to a church that's really divided maybe more or less into three different groups. There is the Holy Spirit group, right? The Holy, the Holy Spirit group. These are people who uh, maybe in Martin Luther's time he called these people people who thought they have swallowed the Holy Spirit, feathers and all, you know. Um, these were people that maybe about 100 years ago we called the Puritans. You know what a definition of a Puritan is? A Puritan is someone who goes to bed terrified that somebody somewhere is having a good time. That's what a Puritan is. So you got your Holy Spirit group. All right, next group in the church in Corinth. Hey, by the way, this church is probably not over 50 members, so it's a small church. Next one's the social ethics group. These are the people that are more ethical than thou. Um, I, you know, I have arrived. You need to learn from me. You need to be passionate about the things I am passionate about. Has somebody ever come up to you and just said, man, I wish, why don't more people get excited, you know, about this issue or that issue? Why won't they join me, Bruce? Nobody's following me. And I'm, I'm, I don't say this out loud, but I'm thinking, Maybe try making some friends and, like, loving other people, and then maybe they'll come in. Right? I mean, so the social ethics group, they've got it. The third group is the wisdom group. These are people who have framed their perfect Sunday school attendance frames on the wall, right? And they've learned so much, and poor pitiful you, that you don't know as much as they do. There were some other issues at this little church in Corinth. They disagreed on the Lord's Supper. They didn't agree on baptism or leadership, as we saw in our passage today. They did not agree on speaking in tongues, spiritual gifts. There was sexual immorality that was making people blush in this church. And uh, a good many of them didn't believe in the resurrection. But other than that, it was a really nice church, right? Uh, Absolutely. So Paul says in his opening prayer before what Richard uh, read to us, Paul says, why don't we grab hands and pray before I start dealing with this? And Paul says to the church in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, call to be saints together with all those in every place. Call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and our Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you've been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind. And I'm sure as they were holding hands and Paul was saying the prayer, there was like one eyeball going, "Uh uh-oh. You see what Paul is doing is he's... His prayer list for this church is their dirty laundry list. And they're getting real uneasy. Because they're using all the gifts they've been given by God to divide themselves into factions and groups. And Paul is in a way kind of like mocking them a little bit. I wonder how Paul's prayer for us would be. Maybe, oh God, we love donkeys and elephants. Oh, God, we vote for this candidate to save us and that candidate to save us. Oh, God, we have this mentality, this worldview, and that worldview. Oh, God, oh, we've got red and blue. You've given us it all. I can tell you, and just to piggyback on what Susan said, I know from Paul that my opinion did not die for me and that an elephant or a donkey cannot save me or a fox or a peacock, right? And the worst thing we can do as a church is to begin to divide ourselves up into us and them. Church, we can't go forward until we see each person in this room and in this church as a person made in the image of God. You know as well as I do that we spend all our lives trying to belong. Many of us, our lives get so messed up and we get derailed when we've been kicked out of our family or the people that we love. And we harbor that brokenness. And it hurts. Because of that, there are so many people hungry in our country to just get involved with any group. Just anybody will love me. Anybody will let me be a part. And so we settle for lesser identities when Paul, more importantly, when Jesus Christ, is calling us to be identified as people, children made in the image of God. So he's busting up, Paul, with his wrecking ball and with his humor. Two assumptions that the Corinthians have about what it means to be a saint. So here's one that he was saying, or that he's trying to correct. Sainthood is not a special moral status. That is not what sainthood is about. It's not a destination that you've already arrived, right? Sainthood is a journey. Paul says, you who were called into holiness, called into holiness, it is not something we get on our own gumption or with our own um, uh, special uh, efforts. It is something from outside of us. You remember as a child, did your mom ever say, now, that was uncalled for? You ever heard that? There's a lot of truth in what your mama said to you because, you see, Our parents were probably trying to get us to respond to something greater than ourselves. To listen to what forms us. To hear the voice of God call us so that we don't settle for lesser gods. Holiness is not what we generate. It's a gift of hearing and responding to something beyond. Something holy outside. Preacher Tom Long talks about Nassau Presbyterian Church. Is Steve Ramp here? Steve, are you here? Okay, he's not here. Steve's Presbyterian. I just want to give Presbyterian some props. But anyway, Tom is a Presbyterian, and he was a a homiletics professor at Princeton Seminary. 
And Tom moved into the New Jersey town, and he joined Nassau Presbyterian Church. And Nassau Presbyterian was known as, I mean, this was the highfalutin, high intellectual church in the town. Tom was there at a covered dish on a Wednesday night and sat beside somebody and struck up a conversation. Tom was new. Tom asked, how long have you been here? And this guy said, Lord, for 25 years. He said, I'm the last non-intellectual in this church, he said. I haven't understood a sermon preached here in 25 years. But I never leave this church. Why? There's a youth correctional center in Somerville. And each month we drive out and spend the day with these young men. We play ping pong. We have Bible study. He said, it feeds my soul. It is what God has called me to do. And then he paused and he said this. This is what I want you to hear. He told Tom, you cannot prove any of the promises of God in advance. Not one. But if you live them, they are true. Every one. Sid, I love your children's message. What that guy was talking about was... he. That guy was talking about getting on that blanket. You should have seen that precious little girl. What, what is her name? Or no, who was the little girl that jumped on the blanket? Her eyes got real big. I was worried a little bit. But she got in the blanket. She trusted. wasn't easy. And she discovered that she could trust her friends and she could trust God. You cannot prove the promises of God in advance. But if you live them, they are true, everyone. Now that's a saint on a journey who has not arrived. Still hungry, still journeying. That's holiness. So the Corinthians had another misunderstanding. They thought that any one of them or any small group could arrive at their destination of holiness without all those other pe- pesky people they have to deal with. They could do it alone. And Paul tells them in his letter, you cannot do this stuff alone. You can't do it following Apollos or Paul. You can't even, this is what really blows my mind. He even mocked people who said, well, I follow Christ. Did you get that? It's like, whoa, wait a second. I thought we were supposed to follow Christ. You are, but we do not follow Christ alone or in factions. We do it with people who are like us and who are not like us. That is how the church grows. That we become united in the one thing all of us can rally around. And that is the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And we leave all the other stuff aside as less than important. We don't divide up the church. I've got a great does anybody have those things you tap when you buy an onion? You go, pat, 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 and it just, you know what I'm talking about? Now, I said this to my church in Matt. You know what I'm talking about, Susan? You look confused. Well, anyway, it's, it's like this thing that's plastic contraption. You, put the, you cut the onion in half, you set it on it, and you go, pat, 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 and it just divides them up, right? I said that in Madison, and my folks in Madison said, oh, no, I buy mine already pre-chopped. So that's my, I don't know, you know, so they didn't understand it either. Um, We will not get closer to the kingdom with an onion chopper. We bring our chopped onions to Christ who makes a beautiful casserole dish out of it. Who makes something beautiful. So what's a saint? This is what Paul reminds them. 
You are called to be saints together, not alone. Where there is division, saints build bridges. Where there's a chasm, saints attempt to walk across it. Where there's a wall, saints attempt to knock it down. You may have never heard of this woman. Grace Thomas is her name. She was born in Birmingham, Alabama. And she's buried in Decatur Baptist Church in Decatur, Georgia. She fell in love with a Georgia boy who went to Georgia Tech. And she followed him there. And she became the secretary in the state senate back in the early 50s so that he could complete his education. But she got curious when she was a secretary, and she enrolled in law school. So she became a mom, a secretary, a student. And one day in the early 50s, she astonished her family, and she said, I'm running for public office. Okay, good, Grace. What what you going to run for? Uh, City council, school board? I'm going to run for governor, is what she said. In 1954, there were nine candidates in Georgia. Eight men, one woman. There was one issue. Brown versus Board of Education. Grace. Her slogan was this. Say grace at the polls. Isn't that good? I like that. Say grace at the polls. Well, not many said grace at the polls. She finished ninth out of nine candidates. But a few years later, they thought she'd got it out of her system. She ran for governor again. In 1962, she spoke all over the state of Georgia as a bridge builder. In Louisville, Georgia, she chose in the center of town there as her venue for a speech. She was surrounded by gawkers and folks who were shouting at her. The center of Louisville, Georgia is not a Confederate soldier or a city hall. It's an old slave market where people were once bought and sold into slavery. She looked at the aggressive and angry crowd. She pointed at the slave stocks and she said in 1964 or in 1962, This has passed away and the new has come. It is time for the citizens of this state to break down the walls that separate us and to join together in harmony and justice. And some farmer on the back row said, Are you a communist? She said, No. Well, where did you get those blankety-blank ideas? And she pointed beyond the slave stocks to the steeple at First Baptist Church, Louisville. And she said, I got it there in Sunday school. She lost again, but she won. She was a bridge builder. She walked across the chasm. You see, sainthood and unity, one church, they all go hand in hand. I'm not saying that we, should grow indivi- not, we shouldn't grow individually and be conformed in the likeness of Christ. Please get me, please understand that is, that is very important. But it is all for naught if we don't get united with God in each other. We will be going nowhere fast. Sainthood is breaking down the walls so that the community can be gathered together. If you are making peace and bringing people together, 
you are on the journey of sainthood. Abba, Jesus said in his last prayer, Abba, Father, just as you and I are one, let these people be one. And he was staring at disciples. One was a sympathizer to the government, tax collector, one of his disciples. One was a zealot, wanted to grab a knife and get after it. Some wanted to be the leaders. Some were Galileans, fishermen who couldn't read. Others were a little bit more educated. Let them, oh God, be one was Jesus' last farewell prayer. Because Jesus knew that without their unity, they would be nothing. They will know you are Christians and my followers, Jesus said. Not by how goody-goody you are. They will know by your fruit. They will know we are Christians by our love. Just ask the woman at the well in Samaria. Ask the woman who touches him and the disciples wanted to push her away. Ask Jesus when he said the parable about the prodigal son who came home and the older brother who sat there and said, I am not going in. This guy does not deserve it. And the curtains dropped on Jesus' parable with a lonely, lonely person. Saints are on a journey, and you are saints. You may be broken, but if we are on a journey together, God has called us to be saints. Saints tear down walls together. They build bridges together. This is holiness. Our job as the body of Christ is to find people who want to belong And we need to tell them that I've got a place for you. I want you to get me. I want you to understand me. This is not a church growth strategy. This is who we are. If you're part of a small group that hadn't invited somebody to your small group in the last 10 years, it might be time to start inviting again. If if you're a young person in this church and you're part of a young group, great, hooray. Reach out to somebody who's older than you. And build a relationship. If you're older, share your love with someone who is younger. Build bridges, church. Let's build a team where everybody has the edge of a blanket and one more person can be lifted up. Marianne Bird, in her biography, wrote this. I was aware at a very early age that I was different. Born with a cleft palate, Students each day reminded me that I was not normal. I believed, she said as a child, I could never be loved. And then there was Miss Leonard. She was a a short, spunky lady who had taught for a long, long time. She glittered with life. She brought out the beauty in each child. There at the end of the year, or actually at the beginning of the year, she was supposed to test the hearing of all the kids. Mary had a hearing problem in her right ear. This is the days when you would go up to the desk by the teacher, cover one ear, and the teacher would whisper something to you. The sky is blue. My shoes are brown. And the child would have to repeat that, right, with each ear. Mary said her life was changed when she walked to Mrs. Leonard's desk. She covered an ear and she heard Miss Leonard say seven words. I wish you were my little child. That is a saint who's on a journey. 
That is a saint who separated the walls. That's who we're talking about today. Other saints, like two that we celebrated this week, Buford Chapman. He cleaned this building for 42 years. Did he do anything spectacular? Well, some may say when he sang, when he went to the group in Israel and lifted up his voice around the campfire at the Sea of Galilee, that Buford electrified the Parkway Hills group there. I wish I could have been there to hear him sing. But day after day after day, he said, he told somebody, he said, I started out at Parkway Heights as a janitor, then I moved on as a keeper, and then finally I became an environmental engineer. (laughs) He did more than clean up this building. His church at Friendship Baptist Church, many came up to me after the service and said, I want you to know Buford loved Parkway Heights. Y'all were family to him. And then Charla Smith, we celebrated her life too. She was in Picayune, the choir director of the children, youth, adults, and the older adult choir too. They call them the bifocals. And anybody that's going to try to lead four choirs has to know Jesus on a first-name basis. I don't know how she did it. But scared teenagers before a big, before a big journey there, before a, a big uh, tour that they were going to do to all these churches, all these scared teenagers, she got them in a circle, and she said, each one of you, I want you to say this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and I will do my best to honor him. How many people, 45 years later, they had an anniversary reunion and they sung the songs again. She made an impression. She built a bridge. She was a journey on the way. Saints, you are on a journey. And your job and my job at this church is to continue building bridges and tearing down walls. It's one thing to say, yeah, I believe that, Bruce. I want you to get on the blanket. I want you to get in the wheelbarrow. Put your body and your soul and your mind behind the radical thought that God can build bridges right here in this church and can use people like you and me. See, the Corinthians thought that their holiness would come out of their strength. But what Paul was trying to say is your holiness shines through in your weakness and in your brokenness. When you realize that you can't be a saint alone, that's when you'll start the journey. So, saints, sinners, let's build bridges every day, big and small. You don't have to run for governor. But you can do little things with great love, as Mother Teresa said. And the bridge will be built. I want to ask our choir to come forward. Um, We're going to do something a little bit different here. Um, Our choir is going to share with us and minister to us. And I'm just going to ask you to stay seated and just receive these words as a prayer for you and for all of us to be one body one bread, and just use this music as a time of prayer as we close. Will you do that?